0: Hey there Tolkieners! I'm Keep On Tolkien's Danny J, and I would like to welcome you to our 2023 Halloween special. Today we're going to be discussing how scary the Lord of the Rings movies are. For today's excerpt, we're going to read some quotes from the internet from actual parents about how scary and messed up the Lord of the Rings is. Please enjoy.
1: Gandalf leans over to pick up the ring, and a very sudden flash of the eye with a loud noise happens may startle many. Two young men jump on the troll's back, stabbing it in the head. A man shoots the troll in the mouth with an arrow, and the troll falls hard to the ground,
2: dead. The formation of Lurts is grotesque. Some may find it disturbing. When a man is affected by the ring, he becomes irrational and gets somewhat scary, shouting and grabbing other characters.
3: There are many battles between humans and disparate types of evil and scary-looking creatures. Some have yellow eyes and pointed teeth. There's a creepy-looking creature that has a gravelly voice. Several scary creatures have red eyes, pointed teeth, and walk like monkeys and snarl. They topple trees and dig a huge hole in the earth and uncover a nasty, growling creature that grows out of slime in the ground. The armies of the Dark Forces are slimy-skinned, have pointed teeth, yellow eyes, and growl like animals. An army of men does battle with the Dark Lord and his minions. Swords and other sharp weapons are everywhere, and bodies are strewn all over. Hey there, Tolkieners! I'm Danny J. and I'm Joel N. I'm Trevor D. I'm Joe Vasky, and, and together, together we are. Keep on talking. Oh, yeah, hey. that, that
2: sounded pretty cool. Yeah, yeah well, dude, pretty that was good.
0: good.
1: How you doing, guys? Today's our 2023 Halloween special.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it also marks the occasion of us being back for the second half of season seven.
2: Seven, that's
1: yeah. right. Second that's half right. of season, back half of season seven. This Great. is episode we, 88.
2: This is crazy. And we get to start it with Halloween, which is yes. extra awesome. That's, all, that's extra. why I love this
1: time of year. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, this is the only orange that I own, and I see that none of you are an orange. Oh, damn. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, 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 Joe's, got Joe's got a, Joe's a little bit of orange. Orange. Yeah. A little orange.
0: You guys yeah. can't see that in, on account of this being radio, but you know.
2: Yeah, they're wearing orange, just so you know. <laughs> we're, we'll describe it to you. you got to know we're, we're faithful to the, the holiday. Yeah,
0: totally. We love Halloween. It's like our favorite holiday. We're crazy about it. Um, and that's why we're having our dear friend Joe Vaskey on the show today. Because we're going to be discussing
3: film again, and that's why we're bringing him back, Joe Vasky.
0: What's up, dude?
3: Hey, yeah, I'm the one that paid like fifty thousand dollars for the film degree.
0: Yes, <laughs> so that's I'm him. Here. He's here, and uh, oh, here. he's not getting paid for this either. So it's it's uh-huh. not technically a job with that degree. I'm I apologize, <laughs> Joe.
2: It's experience, okay?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can you be an? Are you technically an intern? Yeah, pretty, unpaid pretty much. Intern. <laughs> but yeah, Joe's also a massive fan of not only the Lord of the Rings trilogy but also horror and Peter Jackson films.
1: Yeah, we talked a little bit a little bit about uh, Peter Jackson films in our Halloween special last year, episode 68, Our Friend Peter.
0: Yeah, a full-ass 20 episodes ago.
1: Yeah, go check that out. That was actually a real fun episode.
0: Well, yeah, this is going to be a film-heavy episode, guys. So we're going to be uh, doing some analysis of the horror sequences in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy.
2: Yeah, we're going to be discussing the different film techniques that Peter Jackson uses uh, to create moments of horror in the trilogy. All kinds of aspects. Uh, we've got lighting, art direction, cinematography, sound design, and editing.
0: Yeah, all kinds of stuff, guys. And the Lord of the Rings is actually rated PG-13 believe it or not. Joe, why don't you read the MPAA reading
3: for uh, The Lord of the Rings? Uh, It's intense epic battle sequences and scary images.
1: Scary images. I
3: love that they use the word epic in there. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. This is
1: actually too epic? Yeah. Yeah, We might need to make it PG-13.
2: Maybe they were a little biased here. They're real excited about this. Yeah, they fucking (laughs) love it.
0: Everyone loves Lord of the Rings.
3: And it it actually earns that PG-13 rating. I, well, I was gonna say too. They uh, nowadays they would also probably have something about smoking in there. Probably on the yeah.
0: parental guides that I read. A lot of them talked about substance use in the movies. Really? Yeah, I suppose they're yeah. smoking and drinking. They're yeah. smoking and drinking a lot. Yep. Is it? But is it really a lot though? I mean, for a fucking uh, modern movie, everyone hates smoking now, Trevor.
2: Oh no, no, no. I just mean like with the with the, at least the drinking. I know they had like ah, pipes yeah, and stuff. Drinking's yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah hobbits are partying, drinking. The Rohirrim
3: are always drinking. The Gondorians drink. Everyone's drinking. Yeah. Um, I so I watched a YouTube episode, or a YouTube compilation of every death in Lord of the Rings, and it is pretty great. It is pretty violent for a PG thirteen film. Um, and I also counted how many beheadings were in the trilogy. Ooh. This was the extended editions okay for the whole so, trilogy are
2: there, there's more in the extended editions well yeah more, yes. more, more, more I, at least one I do know
3: that for sure yeah and this there also might be more beheadings like in i just counted the obvious ones that i could see okay but um i'm gonna guess seven
2: mm. i don't even know what the base what because there's a lot of there's a lot of severed heads throughout the in one of the films for sure so
3: I I didn't count each individual <laughs> yeah. head that was flung over the wall. Just that would have been too much.
1: It's like uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven,
2: eight.
3: Yeah, pause it.
2: Uh, here, you know, what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna aim high. I'm gonna go eleven.
1: Ooh, see, I was actually gonna round up to fifteen, but I
2: yeah, I'm gonna go fifteen. Fifteen beheadings
3: throughout the the extended trilogy. So I don't know. So there, I counted nine. Damn. Damn, I was closest Ooh. without going over. Oh, you had to throw it without going right. over.
0: Price is right. Price is right rules, I want. <laughs> yeah, but one of the things you might remember about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you saw it when you were like 10 fucking years old, like we were, is that some of this shit is fucking scary. And I can attest, just personally, that several scenes scared the living shit out of me when I first saw the film.
1: Yeah, the trilogy was one of the first big movies I was allowed to watch in theaters because my family was like, oh, yeah, let's go see this family-friendly movie. And it was <laughs> intense for me. I, I remember that. It ex- it, that was my first exposure to like a lot of these horror concepts we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of our own personal testimonials real quick. Like I mentioned, I was allowed to go see it because my mom thought it was a Jesus movie. She's like, oh, let's go yeah. see it. Yeah, it totally it's, is. It's the story of Jesus. Uh, she just wasn't really considering all of the insane violence and brutality and battles and war <laughs> that it's depicted over that handful of hours. And uh, again, the number of beheadings, like, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, it was a Jesus movie, so it was okay. But I do remember that the scariest scenes for me, the ones that still stick out in my mind, are probably uh, what like Weathertop, Moria, and Chilob's lair. Chilob always scared me. I'm big yeah, jo- big she, giant spider, she are you Loves kidding nasty. me? Are you kidding me? Like an enormous fucking spider that gets your friend?
2: Holy shit! And she spins webs fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, uh, I remember the Nazgul scene, like that one of those first ones where all the hobbits jump off the road and are hiding underneath the roots. Oh, classic! Uh, yeah, that that was like sh- shit's about to get scary, guys. And uh, and it, yeah, it was. It was that the shrill that they did was perfect. I think
0: scary. Uh, when I first saw the Fellowship of the Ring, I was about ten years old. It scared the crap out of me. I thought the orcs were just scary as fuck. They're like monsters mm. um, with British accents. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, and honestly, because I'm an anxious, I was an anxious child. The tension in just some of the scenes in general, is mm-hmm. too much for me to handle. I just mm. couldn't do it.
3: Yeah. No, it, it is super tense, especially when, yeah, I think I was 11 or 12 when I first saw it. The ring wraiths also really scared me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially, we're going to talk about this later. But when they invade Bree, it's so creepy, and it's just so well done at night with like the fog rolling in and okay. Howard Shore's score. Yeah. Um, and I also just want to give a quick shout out to how much I hate the Fellowship of the Ring video game. Oh, me too. I uh, the the doctors never figured out what gave me cancer, but I would I would not be surprised <laughs> if the Fellowship of the Ring video game had something to do with it. I. <laughs> I, I, you can't disprove it. <laughs> you know that, can, that you, claim cannot be disproved. You
0: cannot fucking disprove it. I
3: never made it out of the Shire. The ring rapes <laughs> just me Always caught me. Stress induced cancer.
0: They were so much harder than Farmer Maggot's dogs to distract with the stones.
3: Yeah, no, and you had to do. You had hours of gameplay po- Sorry, yeah. Fuck that game. Too off. Too That's off a topic, different episode.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, n- I've
2: never played this game,
0: guys. Oh, <laughs> oh it's awful. We should I'm do. Curious. We should make content out of it because it's fucking awful. I do gotta agree though
1: the weather the uh, not the weather top the scene where the ringwraiths invade Bri at night. Oh yeah, that is that is probably one of like the spookiest horror horror esque scenes that I can think of in the film. Yeah, I, and we're about to go totally,
0: And we're about to go all film school on that shit. So let's get into a little film one hundred and one here.
1: Yeah, before we get too deep into it. You know, we want to throw out some terms because some of us might not be too familiar with some of this film stuff since this isn't a film podcast.
0: Right, so we're going to define a few terms. So first, lighting. Lighting is how a director uses lights and shadows within the scene to convey certain visual information.
1: Lighting can dramatically affect the tone of a scene and horror has been on the forefront of the lighting game since the silent era of film. Yeah, you
0: really got to check out the German expressionist films from the 1920s if you want to know exactly what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing because they don't have all that sound, like they have to convey that information visually, like, like visually. And so you got to get you got to get creative with that. That's mm-hmm.
0: why people always say like film is a visual medium as first and foremost. So it started out
1: with a lot of. Accentuated face acting, yeah, super yeah. accentuated face makeup because I really want you to see the person go, wah! yeah, yeah
2: we get to get to tell the story strongly.
1: Yeah, it sounds
0: like I fucking love silent films, you guys. We should, uh, we should have a silent film night on the Discord server with all our uh, listeners. That'd be fun.
1: Nobody talks.
0: Yeah, but,
3: uh here's a fun uh, film school term uh, Joe can give us. Yeah, this is super film schooly, i guess but it's chiaroscuro chiaroscuro it's it's italian <laughs> it's a uh, lighting technique um it originally comes from the renaissance art movement and combines the italian words chiaro meaning clear or bright and oscuro meaning obscure or dark Um, And it refers to the dramatic effect experienced when using contrasting areas of light and dark in a visual piece. So in cinematography, the term refers to low and high contrast lighting, which creates areas of light and dark in films which goes back to the the German expressionist films which they really play around with shadows and
1: oh yeah it's well so that's the kind of lighting you see when you see something like moving in and out of shadows right something that's spook like in a bright spot and then it moves back and disappears into the dark kind of
0: right thing. That, that yeah that's a definitely a uh, um a lighting technique a lighting trick right there's there's plenty of lighting tricks and yeah those
1: chiaroscuro
0: is a right. way to do that Yeah, um, a lot of those German dudes, we can't talk about them enough. Check those guys out. Uh, Another thing we're going to be talking about, editing, if you don't know what editing is.
2: Yeah, editing is the chronological sequence in which visual information is displayed. So individual shots are edited together to create scenes. Editing sets the pace of a scene, and also it adds to the action.
3: And then cinematography is just the way the camera moves through the shot. Um, It's one of the number one ways that directors convey feelings and emotions through imagery. And there's a lot of, I mean, handheld and just there's so many different types of way to show that emotion through how the camera itself is moving throughout the scene.
0: It's a whole art and it's art within the art.
1: Yeah, another term we want to throw out is art direction. So the art direction of a film is the overall visual aesthetic of a given scene. So this one is a little more abstract. So to convey this concept, we've got a little excerpt from Wikipedia that we'll have read by
0: Danny. One of the biggest challenges art directors face is translating desired moods, messages, concepts, and underdeveloped ideas into imagery. In the brainstorming process, art directors, colleagues, and clients explore ways the finished piece or scene could look. At times, the art director is responsible for solidifying the vision of the collective imagination while resolving conflicting agendas and inconsistencies between contributors' ideas.
3: Nice. That's an art director, guys. And art direction, it includes set design, props, makeup, and costumes. And I just have to give a shout-out to the Chainmail team on Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. If you There's a clip on YouTube from one of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, I think, extended bonus edition discs. The one of Mini. Yeah, the one of many. Uh, and we learned that it takes three days and 13,000 individual rings to make one piece of Chainmail. God. And... Just in the clip, they've been doing it for I think they say eighteen months, and you can just see that like their sanity is slowly, slowly dwindled in it's those years, slipping that's, away. Yeah, that's they've a got group. A,
1: they've literally got to build an army of those things. Yeah, oh my god, so is
2: that is that three days for one person to make one chainmail, or is that for the whole team?
3: Yeah, I think it's I think it's one person. Okay. it takes them three days on thirteen thousand rings that's for one. That's still a lot. That's, that's a
0: slow process. That's crazy. Another slow in uh, in uh, terrible process sometimes is sound design.
1: Mm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So sound design
1: is what you hear when you watch any given scene, and it consists of creating, editing, and mixing the sound into the final product.
2: Yeah. Sound design is the hallmark of almost every great horror film. Sound adds so much f- uh, to the feelings of terror or disgust being conveyed by the director.
3: And sometimes the lack of sound can be used to great effect in sound design i always point to no country for old men and oh it's my not, god Yep. it's not technically a horror film i guess but there's some mm. scenes that i would describe as horrific sure. with anton sugar when yeah. you'll only hear like a crumpled wrapper, or you'll hear distant footsteps and it's more terrifying than if there was a or, or orchestral orchestral theme. <laughs> yeah yeah.
0: No, there's almost straight up, almost no music in that movie. And the only music you do here is like diegetic, like and diegetic, like it comes from in the
3: movie. You Some know?
1: of those scenes build up a lot of tension. A lot of tension. Yeah. Check that
0: one out if you haven't seen like, it. Like, you
1: know, Anton Sugar's there somewhere. Where is he with that weird ass fucking shotgun in his in his cow poker or whatever the <laughs> fuck it is? Yeah.
0: And that's made by a uh, fellow Minnesotan artist, the Coen brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are colleagues with them. <laughs> we are colleagues. <laughs>
2: uh, I I would like to add that uh, that that like sound design, the, the keeping like no music, but just like the sound effects or like footsteps and stuff. Uh, that goes the same for video games too. Like, yeah, like video games being an evolution from like I from guess film, yeah. from film, and in a lot of ways, a lot of games are very. Very film-like. Yeah, me and um, tr- me
0: and Trevor always talk about like film versus video games, and I always say that film or the video games are a descendant of film.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I would have to agree. in, in some yeah. aspects, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. And uh, like if you're playing horror games, like like Dead Space or, mm. um, you know the Evil sound Within, like sound is very important. Like very especially important. when mm-hmm. they they take the music away and all you can hear are your footsteps, like crumpling leaves on the in the forest, like mm-hmm. it, it uh, or like things walking around you and screaming like you want to be able to hear those things because they could jump out you at any time right yeah it's yeah. part
0: of the overall sensory experience that you have with yeah. game games
2: you can't have a, a film or or a game for that matter without those things and make it horror yeah I especially
1: for someone who's very sensitive to sound and things sound design can really like make or break any given scene or event like it, oh, it's yeah. really what makes it hit like the audience and totally and then joe mentioned like the la- how the lack of sound can be used to great effect that just makes me think of the scene in uh, the return of the king in the battle of pelennor fields where the two oliphants collide yeah and the sound mm-hmm. like cuts out for a second as these two massive things Those- come together just cuz it's mm-hmm. like so overpowering like they just yeah. cut it out it's just it, that that that's uh, that scene was always super intense to me
0: and uh, full disclosure, all the things we just mentioned—I'm um, pretty sure all of these—they won Oscars for. Oh, really? It's—they yeah, won eleven Oscars, so they won f- pretty much for everything except acting. So, it's- which is really silly. Yeah. Really, acting? Because no, some no of the acting, acting was nomination. fantastic.
2: But man, Andy Circus really did get chapped out.
0: Yeah, Andy Circus is still not been nominated, as far as I'm aware.
3: <laughs> Fantasy, horror, and sci-fi—those are all. Shafted. Not not loved by the Academy for yeah. acting. Shafted by the Academy.
2: All right, guys, shall we get into the horror in The yeah. Fellowship?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Mm. Let's so, get into it. The aura. The aura. The first and foremost, we got to get into those Nazgul sequences. In my opinion, honestly, and I've seen literally thousands of movies, they are some of the scariest movie villains of all time. And the scenes that they are introduced in the film are iconic as fuck. I mean, there's even a South Park episode lampooning one of the shots we're going to analyze in this episode, <laughs> and it's one of my all-time favorite episodes. When they're looking for the porno, remember? The, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, my yeah, god. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great episode. Backdoor sluts nine. Backdoor sluts Back, nine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> See, that's
2: one I do know, and not being yeah. a South Park person, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, let's let's get right into it. Uh, the gang meets the Nazgul.
2: Yeah, this is the one that I said earlier was the one that freaked me out. Nope. You know, the more you guys talk about the Nazgul stuff, the more it makes me realize
1: the Nazgul stuff in the early parts of the Fellowship probably really were my first exposure to h-
0: true horror. Yeah, it's
2: like yeah. true horror. It's it's what a what a nice way to have to digest that too. Like with the Lord of the Rings. I guess you could say it has several different genres in it. They did a oh, good yeah. job of sort so, of easing you into it initially. Yeah, so. and, yeah. And you're not like stuck under that tension for the whole movie, just like for parts of it. So yeah. That's why it's a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does it does a lot of things very well. <laughs> yeah, it's real good, you guys. If you haven't seen it, like you should check it out. <laughs> How did you get this far on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I wish I could Lord talk to
0: those people. Yeah. So let's talk about the scene we're talking about. Frodo and Sam have just met up with Pippin and Mary on the road. Y'all remember this, right?
1: Ah, uh, yes, Farmer Maggot. Yeah, there's this a. F- is, you've been into Farmer Maggot's crops. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, there's a funny little scene with the mushroom and the pile of horseshit, and uh, shortly after, Frodo looks down the road and becomes anxious. Mm. The gang get off the road and hide from the Nazgul in the hollow tree. So that's the sequence we're going to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Peter
2: Jackson exhibits a textbook tonal shift after the comedic scene and launches into straight up high tension horror. Hell yeah.
1: But let's break it down. Let's get into the editing aspect of this scene that makes it so horrifying.
0: Yeah. As the tension builds, Jackson uses a combination of progressively tighter shots with shorter and shorter durations to build a sense of urgency within the viewer.
1: There's also a lot of use of close-ups during both the scene where Frodo is staring down the road and when the gang are all hiding from the Nazgul, you know, in the under the hollowed out tree. Those close-ups allow for the actors to demonstrate the emotions of fear and anxiety on their faces with limited visual distractions. They really let those emotions sink in for the viewer. And they also later serve to convey the intensity with which Frodo is tempted to put on the ring.
2: And then Jackson uh, switches things up to further build tension as he uses a long take, relatively, Uh, of the Nazgul riding into the background of the frame while the hobbits are tucked beneath the tree in the foreground.
1: I love that shot. That's like an iconic, just Mm -hmm. so iconic. I
0: want that as a huge, like, photo in my
1: house. Like a giant mural on a wall or something?
2: That would be cool. Uh, But then then we go straight back to quick cuts uh, of the close-ups of the hobbits' faces and the bugs crawling and the armored feet and the hands of the Nazgul, just like all the things portraying some kind of dread or disgust. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, then... uh, he brilliantly uses a slightly longer take to show the struggle not to put on the ring on Frodo's face.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: really letting that emotion sink
0: in.
3: Yeah, I love the bugs too because it's like they're just so even gross. even the bugs are trying to get away from the these yeah, even the yeah. bugs are freaked out.
1: It's mm-hmm. it, that really convey I really liked that particular i don't remember if that was in the book was it i don't that think detail? so no but that, cool that detail with the bugs was a really good like visual way to convey the like even nature's the, invi- the invisible yeah. sense yeah. of fear that's always around them like how do you really convey that that was a great
2: great way
0: to
1: do, great that. Way
2: to do that when yeah and they're like they're down in the dark like underneath like it's a it's it's a dirty gross place to be otherwise like mm-hmm. there's yeah there's a lot of stuff, actually, to, to compact in this scene. Yes. It also
1: just it took builds, me a
0: while to analyze this. I That <laughs>
1: It builds one of those stereotypical moments where someone's trying to hide quietly from something else, but then something's happening that's going to make them freak out. Mm-hmm. Super he, tense.
3: Uh, he also uses uh, a lot of time distortion editing. Yes. Which uh, many filmmakers use this technique to heighten the tension or drama of a given scene. So you basically just use... Editing tricks to lengthen the amount of time that uh, passes on the screen or the amount of time that passes on the screen is greater than what it would be in real life.
1: Right. Gotcha. So you're seeing time slowed down to an extent. And
3: it's—I mean—we've all experienced like you're—you're you're gonna give a big speech, and you're—and it's like time stops as you walk up right. to the stage. It's, it's imitating that. <laughs> yeah, it feels yeah. like
1: there's 20 years
3: before you even open your <laughs> yeah. mouth and
1: say anything, but you've only been up there for 30 seconds. Yeah.
3: Just some quick examples of this that are some quick famous examples is the train station shootout in The Untouchables. Of yep. the Odessa staircase, and Sergei Eisenstein's The Battleship Potemkin. Which is actually the Untouchables Kind of, I mean, it is actually based off of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the staircase standoff in Hitchcock's Notorious. Oh, my favorite Hitchcock movie had to mention it, guys. The Notorious
1: film.
0: Yeah, in in the horror film, slasher films use this to great effect. Um, it's used prominently in Carpenter's uh, John Carpenter's classic Halloween from 1978, mm. which is the you know the quintessential slasher. That film. that is a great. Classic. Yeah. You ever wonder how slashers will chase you forever and the scene will last forever while they're just slowly walking?
1: Yeah, the main character is always running as fast as they can and falling over, and it seems like every time they turn around, yep. they're just slowly lugging along, but they're not too far behind you. Yeah,
0: that's time distortion editing, friends.
1: Terrifying. And yeah,
2: well it it makes it,
1: it it makes it seem like they don't even have to exert any effort and they're gonna get you.
0: Right, exactly.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it adds to that feeling of uh, helplessness, mm-hmm. and you know Jackson uses this uh, this time distorted editing to make uh, make the scene in the hollowed out tree seem to last forever. Oh yeah, it lasts
0: forever.
2: He uses uh, half motion to not only draw out the scene, but to show Frodo losing his grip on reality and uh, being seduced by the ring.
1: Yeah, that same technique is used during the scene where the Nazgul is ch- are chasing the hobbits down on their way to Buckleberry Ferry.
3: And then getting into the sound design of the scene, the sound design does a lot of work to build the tension in the scene. Uh, So at first you hear the chirping of the birds and other forest noises laid over a minimal score. And then as the score builds, the sounds of the birds are drowned out by the breathy screech of the Nazgul coming down the road. And then Frodo's tempted to put on the ring, and then you can hear the voice of Sauron growing louder and louder, and as he gets closer to putting the ring on, and then the tension of the scene is cut when all the sound cuts out as Frodo puts away the ring.
2: I can ask a question. Yeah. Do 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 any of us know what they used to make the um the sound of the Nazgul?
3: Oh,
0: like the
2: how the, they created the, that sound? Yeah, that screeching
1: sound. Whatever the folio. In all the, I
0: the... know is that I had a brass sink in my basement that was all fucking corroded. <laughs>
3: And when you opened the valve, it sounded like that, just like that. Yeah, it was awful. It, it's probably honestly like a combination of like thirty dolphins and forty yeah. roaring tigers and just a whole host of creatures. Yeah, they it's do something kind of funny. That's yeah, that's usually how they. Isn't
2: do they that kind of like? I thought they did Chewbacca, right? Or like yeah. they, they had like a lion and a couple of other creatures. They like They're mixed just the overlap. sounds together. Yeah,
1: yeah. The Nazgul screech is one of the things that I thought got carried over like interpreted perfectly from the book because in the book i think they described the nazgul screeches as basically like screams of death or something like yeah
0: that. like an inhuman scream type thing
2: right, if a I, whale
1: that tra- a whale an inhuman like deathly whale that trails off and they like communicated over long distances i think they hit it very like right on the nail yeah, yeah. if
2: i heard that on a dark street i'd be scared yeah i'd be very scared yeah
3: uh, and then yeah, the sound of the bag being thrown and the Nazgul screeching is what breaks the silence. The mushroom bag.
0: The mushroom bag. Yeah. The, so the foley in this scene is also just fantastic. Uh, the sound of the horse, the horse snorting and stomping its feet. The sound of the Nazgul's boots hitting the ground as he dismounts. Yeah. That scene. That that's the a sound. The clanging of the
1: armor.
3: Yep. Yeah, very weighty like this is a yeah a creature you don't want to fuck with yeah totally
2: <laughs> just you guys describing this is like i i can picture like i can hear it vividly yeah it, it's impactful it
0: even makes sounds when the bugs and worms yeah, wriggle like the out wriggling sounds all yeah, yeah. Crawl, creepy crawly
2: sounds yeah, yeah. What, a, what a contrast to the clanking of the uh, armor and stuff
0: yeah so we mentioned we called that foley so let's talk about the art of foley for a second Um, One of the things you will learn if you ever make a film is that sound is a fucking bitch, and I hate it so fucking much. I like to make silent movies, literally for that reason. (laughs) I'm not even kidding you. Um, Most of the sounds we hear in film are actually recreated by Foley artists by doing any number of goofy things to create the perfect sound for the scene.
1: Yeah, when they say goofy... They really do mean goofy shit.
0: Yeah, like real goofy shit. <laughs> uh, the roar of the Balrog is actually the sound of a cinder block being dragged across the floor and then slowed down.
3: Yeah, I just want to echo that, yeah, I hate sound. If you've ever made a movie and been like, what's that humming sound? And then you have to unplug like 20 different electronics <laughs> yep, in the apartment yeah. to try to figure out what's making that humming. Anyways, yeah. It's, it was the fridge. Yeah, something like that. Yep. Uh, and yeah, the cinematography in this scene is uh, iconic. Two shots of note are used to convey the terror of this scene. Uh, w- one of the famous ones, is a, it's called the dolly zoom. Love this. Every,
1: everyone's probably seen this at some point. Oh yeah, very, yeah. very famous.
3: Or you could call it Hitchcock shot, Vertigo shot, Jaws effect, Zolly shot. Um, it's used to superb effect when Frodo looks down the road and the woods around him distort in an eerie fashion, giving us the impression that something wicked this way comes.
0: Oh, yeah, well, you know something's coming.
3: The Bradbury reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the, anato- the anatomy of a Zolly shot, a dolly is basically just a cart with wheels, and you mount the camera to the dolly, and then there are these slightly raised tracks that the dolly goes on. So you're able to get a super smooth shot from it called the tracking shot. But to get the dolly zoom effect, you either zoom in or out while tracking forwards or backwards. So in Jaws, for example, they zoom out while tracking the camera in to get the effect. And in the Fellowship of the Ring, they do it the opposite way.
0: Boom. See, that's why you paid all that money for that degree, Joe.
3: I could have just gone on Wikipedia, but <laughs> but no,
2: <laughs> it's it's a great description of what's happening. But like, it's such an unnatural looking. Oh, it looks so weird. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah it, it's like yeah, okay. This is this is actually just a practical effect, but it's it's really like showing it what uh, what you can do with the. I the feel environment. like yeah, <laughs> I
1: feel like it's frequently used to show character's shock or horror or yeah because it's like, when it's you get that like, tunnel vision shit, yeah you know it's always like the camera's zooming in on their face yeah. but at the same time the background behind them is like falling away really fast it's
0: and it was invented or at least made popular by alfred hitchcock in the movie vertigo which um yeah features that i love it prevalently. The,
2: the name kind of sounds like it like you could use that uh, same effect vertically right
0: well he, he it's about a, uh, a guy that's afraid of heights i mean that makes sense yeah
2: <laughs> yeah. But but I'm saying like with the with the Zolly shot you could do it up and down too and it would mm-hmm. be Oh yeah. Yeah, same thing. Yep. Here comes the ground. Yeah, that <laughs> would be uh,
0: weird. That'd
2: be horrifying.
0: Yeah. So let's get into the next most iconic shot here. We're going to dissect a little bit the hollowed out tree, that whole scene. This is one of the most iconic shots of the entire series. So this is when the Nazgûl is looming above the cowering hobbits
1: and It's just almost the perfect visual representation of Tolkien's idea that evil is ever-present and we are forever in its shadow.
0: Yeah, dog.
1: The hobbits are cowering beneath the roots of the tree, and the shot is from a very low angle with the camera pointed damn near vertical. And this angle is an extreme Dutch angle, as they say, lending an element of surrealness to the shot.
0: Yeah, a word on the Dutch angle um dutch angles are when the camera is tilted uh on its side one way or the other making the planes of the ground like the lines you're seeing in uh or of of the ground or structures pass through the shot at askew angles which if you remember from geometry Mm -hmm. is uh not perpendicular or parallel right at an askew angle
1: yeah so when a shot looks like it's purposely kind of crooked almost
0: right it is yeah in in fact purposely crooked (laughs) And this gives the shot a surreal nature and subconsciously makes the viewer feel uneasy and disoriented.
3: So Dutch angles are most prominently used in the horror genre. Um, it was popular popularized in the silent era, especially by our German Expressionist friends in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it, it is really crazy the influence that German Expressionism has had on just horror and I mean even film in general.
0: Oh god, yeah. Our, our my two favorite genres, film noir and um, and horror, are both direct descendants of German expressionism.
3: Peter Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi both love that. Like it's a Dutch angle, but they put it in motion so the camera will almost like crookedly fly towards someone's face or away from them, and it's it's a really effective way to show horror.
0: Yeah, it really is. Yeah, Dutch angles are fucking cool. I fucking love them. Let's talk about the attack on Bree. You guys remember this? This is another Nazgul sequence, right?
1: I'm, I'm excited about it. After you brought this up earlier, I've been excited about this. Scene. It's one
0: of the most horrifying scenes. Because
1: I can't believe I forgot about it, but it really is one of the if, spookiest, scary scenes.
0: Yeah, if you can watch this scene like just show it out of context and be like, this is from a horror film, they'd be like, yeah, that shit must be scary. A that scary must be a movie. scary-ass horror film, but I, this is from a fantasy adventure film.
2: I really like the the layering of uh, of scenes that comes up to this point too, because like that's uh, that that one we just talked about is not that long ago. No, it's and very so, quick in succession. So, yeah, yeah, you get like a moment of peace and everybody's happy, and they have it in pints, and then yeah,
0: no, Peter Jackson, no um, they literally inject meth into the timeline of the Lord of the Rings. Like they hype that shit up, they make it Hollywood fast, you know.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, it's just, I really like it. The pacing is great.
0: Yeah, the pacing of, of Lord of the Rings is perfect, in my opinion.
1: pacing is
2: wonderful.
0: Yeah.
1: So the attack on Bree. So this is when the Nazgul force their way into Bree, and they ride through the streets searching for the hobbits, and then they even eventually enter the inn of the Prancing Pony, and they attempt to kill the hobbits in their sleep. But,
3: as we know, they fail to do so. Right. I always felt bad for the gatekeeper guy. I know, Butterbur- he got smushed. No, oh, the, gate the keeper gatekeeper that gets pushed. I'm yeah, sorry. I forgot about it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, full poor guy. He was just doing his job. That was uh, that was always
1: very alarming to me as a child when the gatekeeper got smushed. Yeah,
2: so we assume he dies there, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ta- we'll yeah. talk about
0: sound design. I think the crunching sound it made. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: as the horses
0: rode, yeah. rode over, his nine horse. yeah.
2: horses. Yeah. yeah, nine horses ride over the top is of that, you. Is that the that's the Nazgul's first casualty? run? I think in the film. In the film. Yeah, I, I think yeah, so. Yeah, in the film. Oh
1: no, the first casualty in the film is that Hobbit With holding the. the turn yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: they got got him good oh i never i didn't actually think he got murdered by them
0: it's off screen but it's implied yeah
2: okay yeah (laughs) all right well kill count two
0: (laughs) yeah uh let's talk about the art direction a little bit this scene is a textbook example of horror atmosphere the use of fog is something that goes all the way back to the earliest days of the horror genre The um, old Universal Monster movies, some of my favorite movies friggin' ever. I've actually showed my nephew almost all of them. He's 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 five, and he loves them. He's fallen in love with all the (laughs) old classics. Yeah, yeah. the old Universal Monster movies use Fog a shitload on set to uh, create the atmosphere of horror in their scenes. Notable example, I think the best example, one of my least favorite of the films, but best example of Fog, The Wolfman, 1941.
2: Honestly, Fog uh fog would be that that uh, makes a lot of sense why they'd use it in horror because scary well it's it's scary but it, it also doesn't have to be um like really like a thick fog it can be kind of like uh, it can transition
0: well it also it also visually represents the unknown or the obscured yeah you know
2: yeah. You, you, you can like slowly unveil something or or cover it up and yeah. it, like it's like it conceals things yeah, yeah. it yeah it's almost like using your light and darkness, like, when we get the lighting. But,
0: Chiaroscuro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all going back to the Renaissance. <laughs> Chiaroscuro.
2: It also, Chiaroscuro.
3: It also just looks really beautiful in black and white. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, I love black and white. Oh, movies. yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, fog is, I mean, it's almost just like smoke. And if you have black mm-hmm. and white, like, the way that light smoke hits it off. is going to, yeah. yeah, it's going to make it pop well yeah
1: speaking of uh, colors the color palette specifically of this scene too while we're talking about art direction yeah uh there's a complete lack of warm colors in the scene and the palette is almost all cool blues and greens which helps to set the atmosphere of like a cold and spooky
0: night right yeah it's it's a bone chilling night
2: it almost uh, adds to their their spectral nature
0: yeah yeah dude Another thing they do to add to that spectral nature, I I can't remember if I added this in here or not, but I noticed that while I was analyzing these films, they almost always use slow-mo or half-motion when the Nazgul move around Mm -hmm. to kind of give them a ghost-like Like Like a slow and smooth quality. Yeah, it's really uh,
1: effective. And every time they move, they don't really step. They like float. They They just kind of like move forward. Yeah, they're they're almost kind of ghosts. Yep. Let's touch on the uh, cinematography
3: of this scene. Yeah, there's a lot of cool cinematography in this scene. Totally. One of the most interesting shots, I guess, is that really stands out is the overhead shot of the Nazgûl entering the prancing pony. The camera's directly overhead shooting straight down and we can see them move in through the door one by one. And I just remember how hor- like one of them is horrifying enough and then you just <laughs> see like, a single yeah, single, yeah, single file line of just all of them coming in. And yeah, it really just shows you that they're going to find you. You're not safe, even if you think you are. All of them are going to find you.
0: Yeah. And I noticed while doing this that this is reminiscent of one of my other favorite films and one of my favorite shots in that film, Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. 1976, right? The, uh, when they're showing the aftermath of the giant, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a giant yeah, spoilers, violent conflict at the end, and it shows the aftermath and it's a tracking shot straight down from the ceiling. Similar shot to this.
3: I love the um that the shot of Butterbur cowering as they walk in yes. single file yes. is also just cuz that I mean that would be all of us. Yeah. Yes. So
1: I think as a child that that shot in particular of the grown
0: a grown-up
1: the yeah. the grown barkeeper cowering behind the wall yeah. in his nighty well, with them like streaming by with the swords perfectly in shot behind them, yeah, that w- was one of the spookiest things to me.
0: And we were talking about this while we were doing review. This is Barlam and Butterbur. He's the bartender at the Prancing Pony, which probably in has Brie. some in Bree, which probably has some pretty rough and tumble type he characters. He all
1: sorts of folks. He gets yeah. like Easterlings, dwarves, I'm sure. yeah, rangers, dwarves, yeah. men,
0: hobbits. All of them drunken. come through Bree. Yeah. yeah, people are and people are getting wasted, right? And yeah, and dude. Like he he's not he doesn't scare easy I'm sure yeah he's got shit to do he's not gonna he's not gonna let shit scare him yeah he doesn't even uh, respect Aragorn
1: <laughs> no yeah no he's <laughs> not even intimidated by Aragorn he <laughs> no. just thinks he's some ruffian yeah the only people I've ever seen Butterbur be intimidated by are the Gandalf Gand exactly Gandalf yeah. okay. and the Nazgul, okay. and the Nazgul okay. he is yeah. legitimately scared of Gandalf oh yeah
0: he's so afraid of Gandalf
2: isn't he the one who forgot to give the letter yes yes yeah. 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 but he got that from Gandalf yes yeah. He's so, got a barter. He, he, he still is yeah, like he's got eh, shit to do. if Gandalf's not around I don't gotta
1: yeah. I don't <laughs> gonna do anything out of sight out of mind I guess
0: <laughs> yeah so this super iconic shot that we all love is a, it's an end weighted shot with Butterbur on the right of the shot and the Nazgul pass out, out of focus on the left
1: Yeah, that's got to be one of the most, like, classic horror shots that I can think of right there in the trilogy. I love that one.
0: Oh, yeah. But another
1: one of the creepiest shots is when the Nazgul finally enter the room where they believe the hobbits are sleeping.
0: Yeah, this is a crane shot that moves forward through the room, and it is a nearly 180-degree pan to show the Nazgul standing with swords drawn in the shadows. Joe, if he continued to do that pan, what would he be breaking? The the 180-degree rule. 180-degree rule. yeah yeah the film school would, shit
1: the world would implode and everything would oh happen. yeah
0: you're gonna disorient your viewers don't break that rule what's the rule you never turn the camera 180 degrees you never cross an, an imaginary 180 degree line with the perspective once you're shooting because if you do that so actually Peter Jackson kind of breaks that rule to do that scene where Gollum is talking to himself oh yeah yeah so that's how he creates oh, that by breaking that rule interesting okay
3: it feels like wrong almost when it's, he's having that conversation with himself.
0: Yep. Hmm. So also, let's talk about lighting. This is another thing I love about the Lord of the Rings films.
1: Yeah, so Jackson uses what is called low-key lighting frequently. And low-key lighting is uh, when the light is basically directly overhead.
0: So yeah, there's a three-point lighting uh, structure. The key light is the one right above you.
2: Oh, that kind of makes me think of skylights in, uh, in, in, in like games, like open world games, because there's always a light in the scene, and it's, mm. it's the sun, yeah. typically.
1: Specifically, horror and uh, like noir stuff uh, are prime examples of using that low-key lighting. Yeah. You get good shadows and stuff.
0: Yep, and those German expressionist filmmakers that we talk about so much, uh, after the fall of the Weimar Republic, they made their way to the US and the UK to create gothic horror and film noir genres. So look at that low-key lighting making its way to america and the uk
1: yeah so in this scene specifically the low-key lighting in the hobbit's room where they're sleeping this allows the naz cool to sort of like blend into that dark background blend into those shadows and then they like float forward and are revealed
0: in that light in the foreground yeah so spooky
2: does the does the low part uh mean anything in particular?
0: Just uh like dimmer, dimmer. than than normal. The light is yeah.
2: actually dim
0: as well. It's
1: not mm-hmm. only the key light right above but it's dim is that what yeah. you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Exactly.
0: Yep. So there's high key lighting as well. Like like if you're trying to shoot like a like a scene where somebody's in heaven or dead, sure. you would use real high key lighting.
2: Oh. Right. Oh yeah, so like you could see like a, the cone of light in a way like that. That would thing. be a
0: real high key lighting. Yep. Yeah. Speaking directly yeah. to Jesus. Because there's <laughs> yeah. w- what are the three points of lighting? It's it's fill lighting, key lighting, and what backlighting, I think I can't remember the third one. There's yeah, a couple back, different terms. Backlight. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, let's also talk about the editing because this is uh, this scene is all about editing. Oh about.
1: yeah, the little editing trick they use in this one's great.
3: One of the things with the editing is the movement of the Nazgûl. He uses half motion almost every time the Nazgûl are shown moving, which gives them a ghostly quality which adds to their spookiness. Oh yeah. Um and he achieves this by shooting at a slightly higher frame rate and then slowing down the film. Oh.
0: Uh,
3: yeah, that's how you get so slow you motion. You get
1: like the choppy. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah.
3: It's often used in stylized action films to create a more drawn-out action sequence. Shout-out to Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. Oh, oh yeah. Huge,
0: yeah. Huge lover of half-motion and slow-mo. Oh, yeah, his famous slow-mo shots in all of his movies. Yeah, we used to clown on Zack Snyder so hard yeah, back then. I mean, yeah. yeah,
3: director of Guardians of Gahool. That's my favorite, <laughs> of other than
0: Dawn of the Dead remake, that's my favorite <laughs> Zack Snyder movie. I love Guardians of Gahool. It rules. That's a good movie. It's anti-war as fuck. Check it out. <laughs> So something that is also noteworthy about
1: this scene is the use of jump cuts to fake out the viewer into thinking that the hobbits are actually about to be slaughtered in their sleep. Mm-hmm. But they're not.
2: You know, Jackson starts with a high angle shot of the Nazgul taking position around the beds. There are close-ups of their swords being raised to stab down.
0: That's so tense. Yeah, the light. I love the lighting that they do on the swords too, because it looks to me like moonlight, like on the blades. Like you can uh, see the blade in the moonlight. That's what I always interpreted it as. Just oh.
1: the blades slowly move up into shot, just in time for you to see the tips stop yeah. right in the frame, and the, you're like, oh. The scene fuck. is
2: is pretty much just the moonlight, isn't it? Are they do they actually still have any candles a, or anything on?
0: I think it's like implied moonlight. Yeah, yeah I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's there's, all light coming in from the window
1: outside. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, then uh, we see Sam's face. As he's trying to sleep. And we don't actually know it. But uh, it's a jump cut as the blades go down. And this fakes the viewers out. And makes for a good pseudo scare.
0: Yeah, I always thought that was real cool when I was a kid. That, that scene.
2: Yeah, they, they do a... It's a good job. It really it does like get you for a second.
1: It really does. Especially the sound it makes when the swords go in. It makes like a shink, And then yeah. everybody's eyes wakes up. Yeah, the sound... Let's, let's talk about the sound design of this scene. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the sound design because it is great. Though so other than the score, there is a notable lack of sound in this sequence, and the only sound that can be heard initially are the sound of the horses of the Nazgul galloping in debris.
0: Yeah, once dismounted, they move almost completely silently. And the silence is only broken by the sound of the blades stabbing viciously into the feather beds.
2: Yeah, this, uh, this lack of sound makes a scene really tense, and subconsciously gives the viewer a sense of dread and
3: uneasiness.
1: Yes. I would certainly say so. Child me sitting in the theater watching that
3: scene was on the edge of my seat. Oh, yeah. Uh, Howard Shore's score is so good in that scene, too. Oh, he goes so Mm -hmm. hard,
1: yeah. Dark and spooky. Dark and spooky. Those, like, low string notes, they're just, like, single. They're awesome. You know what else is dark and
2: spooky?
0: Oh, you you stole my segue. I was going to do it. The Moria sequence. The Moria sequences. Yes. So, one of the things we want to talk here about is uh, the similarities to uh, horror films of the past slash horror tradition, right? And uh, so, these sequences are really in the tradition of the creature feature, believe it or not.
1: Yeah, creature feature just being a type of film, horror films from back in the day that featured monsters. Like Godzilla?
0: Uh, Godzilla is more a Caillou movie, but it is Caillou a is especially Caillou. the first one is a creature feature, right? Caillou yeah, movies probably yeah. fall under creature feature. Yeah, it's probably a t- it's a technically a it's creature a, feature it's a right? genre. Yeah, like um. So we'll talk about some creature features here in a second.
1: But yeah, horror films have had monsters featured in them since the early days of horror, and that's how we came to the term creature feature for these types of films. And it really had its heyday back in the 1950s.
0: Yeah, the 50s were all about the creature feature, and there's some really good ones and some really fucking bad ones.
3: Yeah, the in these films, the main aspect of horror is centered around a creature, either real or fictitious. And a lot of the times, the creature is misunderstood. Yes. And you actually end up having a deep love of the creature. Sometimes even, like, Creature from Black Lagoon is awesome, even though he's a murderous monster. I love the Creature from Black <laughs> Lagoon. He did, he did nothing wrong. Yeah, no, no, he's just living his life. I <laughs> mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah but peter jackson we know peter jackson's a huge fan of creature features we did we t- last year when we talked about all his early horror movies i mean there's creatures in those
0: oh yeah yeah absolutely you know what uh one of my favorite creature features is i made you guys watch it last year for halloween i think fucking alligator i love alligator i think it's a perfect creature feature
3: yeah alligator is a good movie check it
0: out perfect is a strong
1: word but I'll take you know what wh- i'll take you joel no, I'll take wh- i've never seen it I'll it's take got, it got robert record.
0: forster in it you watched it with me did i yeah it's about the giant alligator that
1: <laughs> oh that lives outside that guy's like shop or whatever well, remember the this restaurant
0: no that's eaten alive toby Hooper. Oh, i God make joel it. watch
1: so many horror movies <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it later joel okay okay save it for the
0: horror podcast <laughs> yeah save it for the horror podcast should we talk about that right now take a second yeah so, me and Joe have finally decided that we're going to go ahead and uh, start that horror podcast we've been talking about.
3: Yeah, it only took us several years.
0: Yeah, a good five years. But we're going to, that so that's coming up in the future. We're uh, getting the wheels turning on that finally, so check that out soon.
3: Yeah, no, that'll be fun. I'm excited. Hell yeah,
0: I think you guys will like it.
3: Do you guys have a name for it?
2: <laughs> we we don't know yet. Work in progress,
3: huh? Yeah. Untitled Project. Yeah.
2: To be determined.
0: Yes. So let's check out these uh, creature features. Uh, these creature feature etts, feature I guess. Feature uh, Yeah. Feature We've you got three. Them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We've got three specifically from this Moria sequence. So mm-hmm. the three main creatures in the Moria sequence would probably be the Watcher in the Water off the, right off the bat in the beginning. Then of mm-hmm. course there's the Troll during the first fight, and then of course you got capping things off with the Balrog,
2: Durin's yeah. Bane. Does the does the watcher in the water have a like uh, creature name? Or is it just that's just what it's known that's as. just they don't that's they just actually, what they call it. Really, they actually,
1: in the book, they don't even know if it was one or many or many creatures. Yeah, it might no. be a colony. of It's just a tentacles. bunch of a bunch of tentacles came out yeah. of the water. They don't know if it was one or many. In the in the movie, they interpret it as one giant monstrous mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, but it is. But it is uh, generally also ambiguous. named the Watcher in the water, not the Watchers. So I guess it's yeah. sort of implied that it's a one thing. But you never know.
2: Mm. I mean, if it was a hive mind in a way, it could be one thing. I guess you're right.
0: I suppose.
2: The the creature now is way more creepy to me. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's
0: gross, right? But uh, Peter Jackson uses his creature feature chops to create horror and disgust in the viewer in all of these uh, sequences. So let's talk about... We're going to do this a a little bit out of order here, but let's talk about the Balrog first.
2: Yeah, I love the Balrog. Yes.
0: So let's take a look at how Peter Jackson uses the lessons learned from some of the great creature features. Let's talk about the lead-up of the Balrog.
1: Yeah, so the lesson learned by Jaws and an alien here is that you slowly reveal your creature you use limited visual information and you hold that off until the big reveal
0: right you you don't show the thing until very far into the movie right so the Balrog the first information we have about the Balrog is not what it looks like it's what it sounds like
1: yeah that low growling right Yeah. So the fellowship are surrounded by orcs when they hear that sound, and this is when we get a wide shot of the orcs all getting scared and starting to clear off.
2: In the the background of the frame, we can see a tinge of red and and orange colors emerging, and this is a stark contrast to the color palette of all the other Moria scenes that we've had so far, because they've been mostly like you know cool colors it's dark there it's you know green and blues and some muted warm colors
0: yeah even the flames i noticed when i'm watching when i was watching this the fl- the color of the flames is muted it's like whited out
1: yeah, yeah the they- light from gandalf is like a it's like a bluey white mm mm-hmm. mhm
0: not not a
2: warm it's white. not a warm color i bet you they they just uh took out some of the color saturation mm. that would be
0: well, this was one of the first films to use color correction technology. Actually, oh, oh fun really. fact. Yeah, fun fact. Yeah, I bet that
3: had some depth then. It's it's also so effective because we there's like thousands of goblins and whatever is coming terrifies them enough that they all flee. Yeah, so it's like a really effective way to show that. Like, oh, oh yeah. you thought you thought this was bad? Just wait. <laughs> yeah, just, just wait. <laughs> it's just coming.
0: We then follow with a combination of close-ups and mid-shots of the Fellowship as, they're sta- as they all stand in confused, bombastic terror. Yeah, just standing there all of a sudden alone. Yeah, the sound is heard again, and then the warm colors on the palette become, become more pronounced as the creature presumably moves toward them.
1: This is when we get that epic close-up of Gandalf, and we get to see some of his genuine terror and worry on his face. Oh, yeah.
3: That's also very concerning. Like, if you see Gandalf looking. yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't look that concerned with all these goblins, but now. Yeah, even when he couldn't remember which way to go,
1: he wasn't, like, terribly, like, concerned about it. He was just trying to remember. Now he's straight-up worried.
0: Yeah, and he, like, remembers it for, he's like a demon of the ancient world. And then they cut to this mid-shot, because that's the close-up. And then they cut to a mid-shot from off to the side, and he says, Run! Like and then they all fucking run, right? Yeah, it's 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 kind of like a jarring, like Gandalf coming to terms. Like we need to get the fuck out of here right now.
2: When well, you know if if Gandalf is telling you to run, that shit's hitting the fan. Like you you run yeah. when Gandalf tells <laughs> yeah. you to run,
0: and you can tell by the close ups as Gand after Gandalf says run, the the close ups that they do show of the fellowship are like let's oh, Every- get the fuck out of yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everybody's yeah. very concerned that Gandalf is concerned.
0: Yeah, and then there's actually a um. A kind of weird like a uh, chase scene that i'm not a huge fan of but uh it kind of breaks the tension but we're not going to launch into that scene because it's uh not really horror it's more like a parkour scene Bar- yeah, uh, yeah. parkour.
2: <laughs> parkour parkour Parkour's probably being generous <laughs> yeah <laughs> stairs parkour it's just more walking there's a lot of walking in the lord yeah, of the rings a lot of walking even even during intense you know, scenes. There's such some walking. There gotta. There has to be. Sometimes it's the walking. walking. Is in, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah.
1: the walking is intense. Yeah. <laughs> they gotta walk down fiery stairs. Oh no! But this is uh, when we get to the big reveal of this scene. So as the chase scene ends and we see the lower levels are on fire, uh, there is a long shot of Gandalf standing in front of the flame, pressuring the Fellowship to go on, and and he's saying, "Fly, fly, go across the bridge." And this is when the company passes. And PJ cuts to a close-up of Gandalf's face as he start as he stares into the flames and hears that roaring sound again.
2: Then we get a long shot of Gandalf in front of the flames in the foreground. The camera finally pulls up to see the Balrog emerge from the flames, and we see his uh, full body before a slight pan and a zoom brings us
3: into a, a close-up of the Balrog roaring. So he's just like right in his face, epic whoosh, yeah, and he's right in your face right away. This is very reminiscent of the r- big reveal of the shark in Jaws, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Movies I ever, dude. you can call it horror. Well, yeah, movies ever, but yeah. It's oh, a creature yeah. feature.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's horror 100%. I'll fight anybody that says it's not. I'll, right. f- I'll fight. I'll Write fight a-
3: Email us. But in that, we you see the creature emerging from the background, followed by a close-up of Roy Schneider's terrified face.
0: Yeah, and then he says the, what does he say? We're
3: gonna need a bigger boat. Exactly. Oh, you took the. Line. I was pausing for a second. Oh, he was. Fuck, he was, was pausing so for a dramatic effect. Yeah. Damn it! One thousand men went out. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Joe could do the whole script. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about uh, one of the. Let's jump back a little bit here and talk about the Chamber of Mazarbul. Uh, That's
2: a fun word. Yes, the Chamber of Mazarbul. And so the Fellowship have just entered the tomb of Balin, and they see that the place is totally trashed, and there are dead dwarves everywhere. Gandalf then uh, picks up a book and starts to read. Just, you know, why not? Why not? And uh, he reads the last entry in the book as Gandalf likes to skip to the end. <laughs> and it makes the fellowship uneasy. Uh, Pippin knocks a corpse down a hole, makes a lot of racket. And they begin to hear drums. So uh, the fellowship bar the door and prepare for a fight. You know, they really, uh, they really set the uh, the alarm off. Yeah. They brought the guards.
0: Yeah, so that's the scene we're going to be looking at. This scene is all about building tension. Peter Jackson uses several techniques that build off one another to create this tension.
1: Let's start by talking about the editing. So beginning with Gandalf reading the book, we have a lot of individual close-ups of the Fellowship listening to Gandalf as he reads the book out loud. This gives us, this gives us a sense that the Fellowship are trying to take in their own surroundings and assess their situation. Uh, there are also close ups of gandalf reading the book and slowly becoming more and more concerned and the close up shots dura- the close up shots the durations of them they get shorter and shorter giving a sense that the worry is increasing amongst the characters
2: it's actually incredible that you can convey that much information just with the pacing of your editing
0: yeah it, that, this is why it's my favorite art driver oh, yeah, it's so fucking wild yeah. the shit you can do with just visual information and like yeah it's it's wild
2: right, well in my initial exposure to a lot of this stuff is is games like mm-hmm. at least you know for for a place of study so like yeah i learned film stuff for video games yeah. it's, it's it's crazy to just be like oh yeah i've I've experienced that. Yeah,
0: in game design, it's it's fucking wild, man. It's that's why we're friends, cause we you know we have similar arts. We can
2: riff.
3: Yeah, dude. He does a good job too at like, cause this is foreshadowed way before where Gandalf does not want to come here to right uh, Yeah, and so this mm-hmm. whole Aragorn does not either. Yeah, so this whole time you you're kind of like something's probably not right here, and then they get into the tomb, and you're like. Oh. Yeah, this is not good.
0: Yeah, dude, did you know, so in the book, Aragorn says that he's been through the Mines of Moria once, he does not ever want to go back, and he doesn't want to talk about it. That's what he says. Like
2: he, yeah, he's like it's not. And he's cool. done all sorts of shit. Yeah, and he's what? been everywhere. If he doesn't want to talk about it, <laughs> like what the fuck happened?
0: Yeah, he'll talk about Paths of the Dead, no problem. He'll yeah. tell you about that. But the Dead know. Men of horror
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll he'll tell you the time he
2: convened with a bunch of fucking ghosts. But well, the time the...
0: I snuck through Moria, fuck that, fuck that, that shit. shit's too
2: scary, too scary. That would not make this movie PG thirteen.
0: Yeah,
3: but it is PG thirteen. But it for is for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about sound design a little bit. Uh, the sound design does a ton for this scene. Uh, one of the worst sounds is when that armored corpse falls down oh, the God. mine and all oh. you just hear. It, everything is so silent in the mine and you just hear this loud reverb and echo and it's its just instantly gave away their position. And then when those drums come in, it just feels terrifying. Even though they're so soft at first, mm-hmm. yeah, and then it just builds, and it has a similar cadence to a racing human heart. Yeah, you can yeah. kind of your heart
0: kind of matches the the rate of it, you know. When yeah, it's wild. Yeah,
2: it, it's nuts to think that they were so like that was so loud because Mori is enormous, right? Oh yeah. And so that would echo for so f- for so long,
0: and that sound design was wild. Like the reverb on the. Tsh- tsh- yeah you yeah, can hear it it felt like it went yeah. on forever it felt
2: like it went on forever like i mean it alerted both the orcs and it had to have alerted the balrog right oh
0: you'd think so yeah he right. just came late to the party
2: so d- do the orcs not know the balrog is in there i mean oh they know oh they do yeah but, so they so they played drums that's <laughs> <laughs>
0: i don't like, know up. they're not the smartest you know
3: i guess so. i wonder could the balrog tell that gandalf was there that, he could like, probably he
0: could probably sense gandalf honestly i I, I would assume oh like that maybe he would, such a magical presence he would be able to you know like maybe, maybe the balrog
2: him. doesn't actually give a damn about the orcs but it's because Gandalf. oh he definitely doesn't yeah Okay. No, yeah he
0: definitely doesn't no because the orc is like or the or the balrog is like neutral in this whole conflict it doesn't even like sauron you know yeah like, it doesn't
1: really like anybody the orcs just kind of learned to live around it <laughs> yeah They 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 coexist with it. Yeah, they've learned a weird way to coexist with it. Like, if they don't bother it, they know they can kind of go about their shit and just avoid it and leave it in its hole. But (laughs) then somebody went and threw some shit down a well and woke it up. And then they had a big, like, good Maiar with them to fire up this Balrog.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, Howard scores Shore. Or so Howard scores. sure <laughs> Howard Shores score goes go. fucking hard here. Mm-hmm. It gets faster and more frantic as the durations of the shots get shorter and shorter, and it creates a straight uh, a sense of what I would call straight up panic.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, it goes from tension to panic to
0: panic, like real quick. Yeah, let's talk about the art direction. We got to throw out a French film term here. I'll let you say it
1: because I'm not going to.
2: I'm not even going to attempt. Can I try before you try? Go ahead. Is it that's probably just totally wrong. Is it mise en scène?
0: Uh it's mise en scène.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's don't do French. I
0: believe it means what is in the shot or what is in the scene or something like that. Uh but it's it's literally what is in the scene. So it's like the first thing about the set design of the chamber is that it's absolutely fucking wrecked, right? There's debris everywhere. There's stones strewn around. There's bodies of dead dwarves, right? Well,
2: and there's, like, cobwebs and dust and mm-hmm.
0: shit. Yep, that's all mise-en-scene, it, it, right? it
2: gives you that sense of age and, like, how yep. long everything's been there.
0: Yeah, and uh, also the um, just for the prop design, also for art direction... The design of that book is fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way it's got that slash through it. And-, and we have like proof of this because it is ripped straight from the text and it even resembles the drawings of the pages of the book that mm-hmm. we saw that Tolkien did himself at the Hagerty Museum last year. Yeah,
1: Tolkien actually drew out a picture of what this page looked like with the writing on the page and the page being all degraded and fucked yeah, up. Yeah, w-
0: when we were writing this, I showed that to Joe. It was pretty wild, right, Joe?
3: Yeah, no, it looked it looked pretty much identical to what's in the film. Yeah, it's wild. Also, I love how in the book, the it just scrawls out like he was, whoever was writing that was like dying as they were yeah. writing it. Yep.
0: In the book, it says that it switched, uh, he switched to like uh, Elvish script, Elvish right, script. at the end, to write that faster.
3: That was Nori, wasn't it?
0: Uh, uh, Ori or Nori, one of the two. Or, one of those. Yeah. Ori, I'm pretty sure it was Ori. But yeah, they switched to Elvish because it's faster. Faster, really? Apparently. Hmm. You kind of like switching to cursive.
1: Yeah, it's like switching to cursive. You don't, yes. don't got to pick up your writing tinsel. Just, yeah, Dwarvish just has, yeah,
0: it's all straight lines and yeah.
1: Dwarvish is very hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Using the curse runes is very hard. Tengwar is a lot more swoopy and yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, guys, let's get into the horror in the Two Towers. We're going to talk about a really cool scene, not necessarily a horror scene, but so inspired by scenes of horror and so thick with it that we had to talk about it. And this is The Exorcism of
1: Theoden. Yes. And the funny thing is when I was first reading over this outline, I, I read that and it dawned on me. I had never really imagined the that scene with Theoden as being like an exorcism scene. Oh, yeah. It never, totally. It never really occurred to me, quite occurred to me before, but it totally is.
2: Yeah. 100%. Totally. 100%. 100%. I'm in the same boat as you, Joel. Uh, like, yeah. When you guys first said that, I was like, actually... That it has kind of all of
1: the classic tropes of an oh, exorcism. Yeah. The only thing you just swap out his staff for like a crucifix, and you pretty much yeah. got the power of Christ compels you. Like, yeah,
0: we're about yeah. yeah we're about to get into that shit right now. This scene is not like we said particularly horror per se, but it is so heavily inspired by one horror film in particular. And this is a moment here where we're going to be very frank with you. Every exorcism scene in film that has been made since 1973, has been inspired by or straight-up derivative of William Friedkin's The Exorcist. His is the OG. Just straight up. Like, you can't even get around it. Like, if you asked Peter Jackson himself, he would be like, yeah, dummy, like, this is The Exorcist, you know? And uh, he uses a couple different tricks from The Exorcist in the films that we'll get into, too.
2: Yeah, so should we talk a little bit about the exorcist right? yeah right. yeah it's one of the You're most awesome. iconic horror films uh not only for the reputation we were just talking about even um but it's uh, also being one of the scariest films ever made
0: lives up to that in my opinion still to this day
2: and it's also one of the most critically acclaimed horror films of all time yeah and uh was one of only two horror films two guys to ever be nominated for best picture at an academy awards mm,
0: nice right
2: but, yeah the other was the silence of the lambs which
0: for a, popu- for a genre that's been popular for the last hundred years, that's pretty ridiculous, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, and there's so many good horror films. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying.
3: It was over when Tony Collette didn't get a nomination for, for Hereditary.
0: Hereditary. Yeah. Dude, mm. oh my God, that is 100% true. Yeah, and then Mia Goth this past year for uh, didn't get for X or
3: Pearl. Oh my God. I also don't, Silence of the Lambs, I mean, I guess it's, Kind of horror, but it's not. It's a horror. It's
0: straight up a horror movie.
3: Yeah, but it's not.
0: But it's one of know. those ones that's like palatable for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So this scene, the
1: exorcism of Theoden. So this scene takes a few direct pointers from that iconic scene in The Exorcist.
0: Yeah, we, we got a short list of things that are similar here.
1: So one of the first similarities we've got are the commands being shouted at the possessed person. Right. Right. In The Exorcist, you've got Father Merrick, played by the great Max von Sydow. Yeah. And he commands the demon to leave
0: by the power of Jesus Christ. The power of Christ
1: compels you.
0: Yep, and in The Two Towers, it's Gandalf, you know. I will draw you, a Saruman, this poison is drawn from a wound. And, you know, all this shit. Um, also, the Possessor threatens to kill the Possessed. This happens in both films. Yes. Saruman says he will kill Theoden. And Pazuzu, the demon from uh, The Exorcist, threatens to kill Reagan, the little girl that's possessed. You
3: will not kill me. You You will not not kill kill him. him. The entire atmosphere of the room changes, too. Uh, The color shifts. There's light play. There's strange sounds. I love what it's such a great moment when Gandalf when he's like you have no power here Gandalf the Gray and then he whips off his cloak and yeah Yeah. it's such a great light ooh which even more like just you know Gandalf's this pure white heavenly light and you have just Theoden possessed and just scowling in his chair this old
1: gray wrinkly guy just like.
0: Yeah, and it's like a gro like just like the Exorcist, it's like a grotesque shell of a human being, you know? And uh, there's also like flashes of faces during this process and like layering of faces on each other. Oh, yeah. So, like Saruman's face being layered on Theoden's face, and then also the Devil's face is layered on Regan's face in The Exorcist mm-hmm. during the Exorcism. Some fun editing.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah, at one point you think it's all over too, and the possessor comes back for one last scare.
0: Yep, both films. Happens in both. When the demons cast out, the possessed person's appearance changes.
2: That's pretty, it's a pretty big change in, yeah. the, in uh, that scene.
0: Yeah, it is in The Exorcist as well. Reagan's eye color actually changes and color returns to her face. She looks like a real little girl again, although she's got a bunch of scars on her face. And she doesn't have yeah. like
1: green shit oozing out of open wounds and things. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. sudden, she's like healed up and good. Yeah. And in the same way, Theoden seems to become more young and healthy again. He looks like a regular-ass student instead of like a, a friggin' decrepit old, old man. Old zombie yeah, he, he cleans man. up really
2: well.
0: A dotard, as it, uh, it were, right? Isn't that what it no, means? A dotard? Does it mean like an old foolish person, a dotard? I don't know. Did you just call me a dotard? Are you, <laughs> did you call <laughs> me a dotard? What the fuck did you just say? Anyway, yeah, the overlaying of the faces. We talked about that. Regan and the devil, after her head spins around. um, Oh, yeah. Her head spins all the the way around. (laughs) But
1: she's fine. Yeah.
0: And uh, Saruman's face is knocked back out of Theoden's body during the uh, exorcism.
1: What a Uh, weird
2: description. Oh, yeah.
1: There is a cool flash of, like, Saruman's face at that point, too.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm
0: we also have the possessed speaking in a voice that is not their own mm. in the exorcist reagan speaks several languages uh during uh and has several voices she even speaks latin and english in reverse the english and reverse is scale. really fun yeah that's just scary when they when uh damien karis is like listening to it and he's just like sipping coffee late at night <laughs> listening to that the demon's voice yeah you guys got to see The Exorcist if you haven't. Holy shit, stop this right now. Go watch The Exorcist. Come back. Come back.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, in Lord of the Rings in this scene, Theoden speaks with Saruman's voice at a certain point when uh,
2: Gandalf is casting him out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while all of this crazy-ass shit is happening, uh, all the loved ones are just on the sidelines, just, you know, helpless, can't do anything.
3: Yeah,
0: you got Father Karras. He watches dumbfounded as Father Merrick performs the ritual, he has to leave the room after a while because he can't handle it. Um, and Eowyn, she stands by and watches Gandalf go to work on Théoden. I guess that would really kind of
1: add to the feeling of helplessness that the audience would feel too when you see this character, other characters sitting around
3: like, "What do we do?" You mm-hmm. also, I also have to give a shout out to Brad Dourif as Worm Tongue. He's oh hell yeah, he's perfectly cast in it. And I don't think Peter Jackson has said this, but I I feel like he probably cast him because he loves Chucky in the Exorcist three.
0: Yeah, he's actually, um, Brad Dourif possesses somebody in The Exorcist
3: 3. Yeah, yeah. it's the, yeah. Um, the, well, he's the, the we don't want to give oh, away. Oh, let's not spoil Exorcist 3. Let's not spoil 30-year-old. Pause this. Watch. <laughs> if you didn't already pause. <laughs> skip, exor- skip Exorcist
2: 2 like
0: everybody does and go watch the third one.
3: And I also just want to say, too, Gandalf is a lot better at performing exorcisms than these priests are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes the priests
1: forever to cast the demon out in the exorcist. And they're, a lot of times they're scared, too. Oh, yeah. And then you've got yeah.
2: Ian McKellen, like...
1: He's authoritative. Oh, I release you.
2: I mean, Theodid didn't even have time to get out of his chair. No, that was done right then and there. Wham! Yeah, <laughs> <He just> exercised. <laughs> Shall we move on to Helm's Deep? Yes. So,
0: before we go any further... We have to talk about a large elephant in the room when you're talking about Helm's Deep, and that is Sam Raimi's (laughs) Army of
3: Darkness. That does sound kind of weird that we have to talk about Army of Darkness. Like,
0: yeah, if you're going to analyze this film at this juncture, you need to talk about (laughs) Army of Darkness. Specifically, the Helm's Deep battle was was what we're talking about. Yes, Yes. 100%. Yes, exactly. Just the battle. This is not particularly horror, but it is horrific, and it is uh, also directly uh derivative or uh inspired by a popular horror film
3: yeah and it's one of peter jackson's favorite movies and um yeah it's super influential for the helm's deep paddle many uh shots and entire sequences are straight up lifted or highly inspired from army of darkness and it's easier to just kind of think that it's inspired by because he loves Mm -hmm. it so much yeah of course Mm mm-hmm Um, so for army of darkness if just some background info on it it was made in 1992 and it's the third film in the evil dead trilogy the series follows ash williams as he fights against demonic entities called deadites that have been summoned here from the necronomicon aka the book of the dead right
0: sounds awesome right if you haven't seen them check them out
3: pause this go check out Evil (laughs) yeah it's gonna take you days to listen to this episode But the the general uh, plot of Army of Darkness is it takes place in 1300 AD. Uh, Spoiler warning for Evil Dead 2 if you want to mute it for 10 seconds. So at the end of Evil Dead 2, Ash is transported through a portal to 1300 AD. And once there, he must defend Castle Kandar from an army of skeletons and deadites that have come searching for the Necronomicon.
1: Oh yeah,
2: I've actually never seen the later ones. I've only seen the first.
0: You've seen the first Evil Dead film? Mm-hmm.
3: Nice, dude. It was
2: such a jump going from one to two. Just we recently watched them together. That's yeah. right. Yeah, remember, we watched uh, the original, and then there was the Evil Dead, and then the Evil Dead too. Right?
0: Do you remember the weird? Uh, I gave that file to somebody, and I gave it is is a you know um, a file that's you know from the internet if you know what i mean and uh (laughs) you it it started off in hindi remember and like the sound was horrible we were like what the fuck is this shit we're watching evil dead in hindi (laughs) like it was so funny
2: yeah yeah the sound was so low and like yeah it was just terrible it was weird dub, some (laughs) awful dub from
1: india yeah so let's talk about some of the similarities between these films.
2: Yes. Uh,
1: so the basics of both battles, the Battle of Helm's Deep and the big battle in this, in this film, of Army of Darkness, they're very similar. In Army of Darkness, it is night and fog covers the battlefield. And Castle Kandar, an army of darkness, even resembles Helm's Deep.
0: Yeah, there's one main length of wall with a tower behind it. And the general layout of the walls and the gates are, the very, are very similar as well.
2: Both battles begin with the defending army holding their drawn bows, waiting for their leader to give the order to fire. And uh, we kind of realized after watching Army of Darkness and the uh, Helm's Deep Battle that Ash is pretty similar to Aragorn and Lord Arthur. The king in Army of Darkness acts fairly similarly to Theoden.
0: Yeah, you have like one character that's like used to fighting one way, you know, like the Theoden character. Then you have Aragorn that knows like how to get the job done, though yeah and that's ash right in the army of mm-hmm. darkness and it's aragorn in uh Helm's deep it's kind of
3: cool there's there's also like just like we talked about scenes that seem inspired or lifted by there's a part in army of darkness where ash gets pulled up the wall with a rope just like aragorn does with gimli
0: yep after defending the gate right yep
3: yeah and then yeah during the battle uh both battles the attackers use a battering ram and in both instances the defenders rain down arrows and stones and the shot in both of those battles are like super similar similar looking up at the defenders throwing rocks down yeah
0: it's like the same angle the same kind of lighting structure the same kind of lighting scheme yeah it's it's pretty awesome actually
3: yeah, and then they, they also use like the exact same shot in both movies when they brace the main gate from the battering ram. Too. Mm-hmm. And then in the beginning of Army of Darkness, Ash saves the life of Henry the Red, which is a, a fellow king. And during the battle in Army of Darkness, he arrives with an army to help Ash, which is super similar to aomer in The Two Towers. Right.
2: One scene uh, that is lifted straight from army of darkness is when a wise man holds a bag of gunpowder over an open flame and ash slowly pushes his hand away from it it's almost exactly uh, the same as when sauruman pushes worm tongue away
0: yeah when he's making the bombs the the fire of or thing right mm-hmm. it's the exact same shtick that they do it's really it's it's funny it's an ode to when you, you know a joke that you
3: like but yeah it's
0: crazy how similar the two scenes are yeah I thought that was a really funny bit
3: yeah, I always thought it was funny, too. And then you also can just see Sam Raimi's influences with the cinematography and editing in Helm's Deep or where Peter Jackson drew uh, inspiration from. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of Dutch angles in both uh, battles. And, yeah, they both of them love to do these quick cuts and zooms with this Dutch angle where...
0: And sometimes they'll Dutch from one side to the other like, yeah. while
3: zooming. And it just it's so effective at showing how disorienting being in... in battle like that would be Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah it makes a really good uh double feature if you want to watch army of darkness and then at least watch the helms deep battle scene afterwards it's a really fun
0: yeah that's what we we did in 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 prep for this episode and it was um quite eye-opening Isn't the editing style where you've got like a scene going on in
1: one area with like close ups and like half shots and then all of a sudden it'll zoom out once and then it'll zoom out again and pan to a different area of the battlefield, zoom in once and then zoom in again and you're on a personal level again? I think you were telling me that was a technique that was pulled from.
0: I wrote a film paper about this, about. 12 years ago. Yeah. And Joel read it. Uh, I compared um, the Battle of Helm's Deep to uh, the Siege of Babylon in the 1916 movie Intolerance. The oh, that's DW what it was. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. The editing is strikingly similar um from a a film from 1916 yeah check that out that's a public domain that's on youtube um the the fall of uh, or this i think it's called the siege of babylon from intolerance d.w griffith terribly racist man he made a (laughs) he made the movie birth of a nation which is a outstandingly racist film but um intolerance is much better check out intolerance anyway yeah i should throw that up on the discord drill if i have that paper still
1: that would be that would be a fun read. Hell yeah! Yeah. Well, that's all we've got for you today, guys. You may notice that we're stopping after we're talking about the two towers.
0: Yeah, it happened again, you guys. We ran out of time. <laughs> We had to split the episode. Um, so there's so much more to analyze in The Return of the King. Keep in mind, it does hold the record for most Academy Award wins of all time, mm-hmm. tied so, with uh, a few other films. We're going to have a lot to talk we're about. We're going to have a lot one. to talk about. So um, we're coming back next week to finish off the trilogy and talk more horror. And we're doing this to make Halloween last forever. Yeah. We're taking back November. <laughs> I say it's ho- it's Halloween all the way to Thanksgiving, in my opinion.
3: Yeah yeah dude i'd be down with that
0: yeah halloween creep like christmas creep every year fuck that halloween creep every year
2: i'd be okay with some halloween bleed too it could just keep going yeah just know. keep bleeding yeah. Let it, yeah. Keep on it's it keep funny because
0: we always watch 30 horror films every october at least right and it's funny because i keep watching them into november because there are movies that i wanted to watch <laughs> during the marathon <laughs> I that i missed have out on yeah 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 yeah
1: well, we're just excited that we get to do Halloween twice for you guys. You guys get more Halloween. Doesn't more everyone Halloween. want more Halloween? Everyone wants more.
0: But yeah, some final thoughts on this uh, this first part here. Even though The Lord of the Rings is not considered a horror film, it does have many moments of horror and also disgust. We're going to be talking more about that disgust factor in the next episode. Yes, there's been specific
1: scenes I've been trying not to talk about. <laughs> yeah,
0: because you know they're coming in the in the gross section. Yeah. Um yeah, so Peter Jackson's horror chops made the Lord of the Rings the experience we know it as. Yeah, and I think we'd all everyone here would agree it wouldn't be the same by any other filmmaker. It would
1: not be the same. The yeah. the intensities wouldn't be as intense, the scary parts wouldn't hit as as hard like. Yeah, we really enjoyed looking at Lord of the Rings through the lens of the horror film nerd. And it's I've, I've only been able to do that in my recent years of life.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I feel like you have to look at Lord of the Rings this way into full, into full uh, in order to fully understand not only its place in film history, but also the filmography of its director, Peter Jackson. As we know who started with horror films. Yeah. And yeah. if you want to know more about that, check out last year's Halloween special, Our Friend Peter, because guess what? Again, this is coming out on Halloween, Peter Jackson's birthday. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Um, Happy birthday, Peter. Jackson. Happy birthday, Peter. Happy
3: birthday, Peter Jackson. Yeah.
2: That's really
0: cool actually. <laughs> so next week we have got part two coming for you guys, episode eighty-nine. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, more Halloween. But yeah, thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay up to date on new episodes, and please rate or give us a nice review.
1: And a big thank you to our patrons. Don't forget to go subscribe on Patreon help us out. That's patreon.com forward slash kotpodcast. Subscribing there can get you some exclusive content, so go check it out. We also accept private one-time donations. Uh, We have PayPal and other services. Contact us on your favorite social media, and we'll make it happen. We appreciate anything you're willing to offer.
2: Speaking of social media make sure you uh, go ahead and give us a follow on our different platforms um, check out our discord there'll be a, a link in the description uh, i would say that's where we are most active uh, but we're also on tiktok at keep underscore on underscore tolkien underscore podcast you can find us on x formerly twitter at kot podcast
0: for now maybe for, depending. for now, maybe. <laughs> for now. <laughs> this yeah. this episode it's
2: early october right now so it, we'll, we'll we see. got time we'll see
0: yeah
1: perhaps
2: formerly x soon <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're also on Facebook at Official Keep On Tolkien, uh, Instagram at Keep On Tolkien Podcast, and uh, don't forget to check out our merch store as well. Uh, that link is keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmel.com.
0: Well, guys, it was so good to be back for the second half of season seven. We can't wait to bring you all the bullshit we're about to bring you.
2: <laughs> it's going to be great. It's
0: going to be so much fucking fun. Um, yeah, I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N.
3: I'm Trevor D. I'm Joe Vasky. Hell yeah.
0: And we are who? Keep, Keep on talking. All right, and to live. This is Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween God I love Halloween